Hi there. Welcome to spring, huh? How's that feel out there? It's really good to worship God with you today, especially if you're a guest. We're delighted to be with you and uh, hope today's real meaningful on a spiritual level for you. We have an extra special privilege today to have our friend Steve Mathewson here with us. And uh, since before Journey started, Steve Mathewson has been a friend of Journey Church. Lots of you know him and know that he left the valley about two years ago, moved out to a northwest suburb of Chicago called Libertyville, where he pastors an e-free church there. Also, he's an adjunct professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. So this is an esteemed scholar that we get the privilege of hearing from today. And uh, as you can imagine, if you lived in Chicago, you would often want to get back to Montana, right? This is a Montana boy. Steve is a Montana boy, so he comes back pretty frequently. And this week, as I understand it, there are a whole bunch of trout in our area rivers with many sore mouths because of Steve's work on the river. So on that note, would you please give a very warm Journey Church welcome to Steve Mathewson. Well, good morning, Journey. It is uh, good to be back, although uh, it wasn't the weather I anticipated. Uh, We had a long, hard winter in Chicago, and I've been looking at weather forecasts, and it seems like the whole winter uh, you had a lot better weather than we did, even though you had more snow and and uh, then I, I saw the weather forecast that looked good, so I was bragging to everybody, how I'm going back to the warm area, you're going to be freezing in Chicago. And it's been 70 in Chicago all week, so I, I got in on the tail end of that on Monday, but it really is good to uh, be here, and, and I'm so excited about what God is doing in, at Journey and here in the valley. It really was hard to leave because uh, we loved uh, the people at Dry Creek, but uh, God Uh, directed us to the Chicago area, and that's been uh, a good ministry. It's been a good uh, challenge. Uh, Lots of adjustments, although it hasn't been as hard as we thought. Uh, Probably the biggest adjustment is that when people visit us, uh, we can no longer take them to Yellowstone National Park, or or I always like to take people on the A River Runs Through It tour. I think my wife is glad, though, that, that that's over. She was tired of that after about the second time. But now we take people downtown Chicago, we're about 35 miles away, and, and if you want to come and uh, stay with us, we'll take you down to Navy Pier, and uh, we'll take you to Gino's East Pizza, that's, uh, that's the big deal, uh, downtown Chicago, and, and it, is a, it is a fun place, but uh, great to be back here and to uh, uh, just be a, a small part of what God's doing here uh, this morning. If you are interested in climbing Mount Everest... Tallest mountain in the world, 29,038 feet. If you're interested in climbing Everest, this is the time of year to do it. Because there's a a short window from uh, mid-April through uh, about mid-May when uh, you don't get as much snow and and the winds calm down a little bit. And uh, this is the one time that you can climb Everest. But uh, you're going to need a guide if you want to do that. And a good guide is going to cost you anywhere from $65,000 to $75,000. But you've got to have a guide because there are so many dangers on Everest. Uh, it's, uh, it's a challenge. And even before you reach what they call the death zone, uh, where the oxygen just isn't there and, and I guess uh, brain cells start popping, uh, well before you get to that place, uh, you have to navigate your way through a chaotic mess of, of icebergs uh, called uh, the Kumba Icefall. 
and, and there are massive uh, icebergs and ice blocks. Uh, the small ones are about the size of the SUV that you drove to get here this morning. Uh, the large ones are about the size of a railroad car, and some of them are taller, as tall as a cathedral. Uh, but these things uh, kind of hold together like the ice does in your freezer, in your cooler. You know how that ice, it melts a little bit and it kind of shifts around. And, and that's what happens with the Kumba Icefall. So you need one of these guides who will put out a, a aluminum ladders uh, from one massive block to the next and will help you across so that you don't fall uh, 300 feet uh, to your death. Uh, you need a guide if you're going to... Uh, navigate uh, the Kumba Icefall. Well, when I read about that, when I see pictures of it, it really reminds me of life, uh, because life works that way, doesn't it? Uh, life is chaotic, and, and there's all kinds of areas where you can fall and stumble, and you and I need a guide if we are going to get through life successfully. And the guide that you want is the guide that one of the most famous kings had, uh, one of the most famous kings in world history, a king by the name of David. King David needed a guide. He needed a leader, and I'm going to introduce you to that leader this morning. But King David might not be the person you would think that would need a guide because he became Israel's most famous king. About a thousand years before Jesus, when, when the tribes of Israel were, uh, were, were kind of fragmented, uh, David came, and he, he wasn't even from the ruling family at the time, but he unified them. He captured the ancient city of Jebus and turned it into uh, what we know today as Jerusalem. In fact, even if you visit Jerusalem today, 3,000 years after David, uh, you can see uh, the place where prime ministers and presidents stay. It's the King David Hotel in, in Jerusalem. Uh, boy, that pool looks inviting about now, doesn't it? But King David was, uh, he was an icon in, in Israel, and yet King David... Uh, needed a guide. Uh, King David had some uh, very, very difficult stretches in, in his own life. And I want to introduce you this morning to David's guide. Uh, he wrote about him in, in a song that's in our Bibles, and that song is known as Psalm 23. And if you have a Bible with you this morning, turn to Psalm 23. And if not, you can just follow uh, the scripture as it appears on the screens this morning. I would suspect that even if you are new to the Bible, that you've probably heard Psalm 23. Now, often it's read at funerals, and while that's a, certainly an appropriate selection, uh, this psalm is not really about death, it's, it's about life, and about living life to its fullest. And I have to confess that for years, I, I got so familiar with Psalm 23 that I don't think I really appreciated it. And about a year ago, I, I just started studying it again, and it just hit me that, uh, that this is such a powerful message about uh, the guide that we need to get us through this difficult journey uh, that we call life. And as you look at this psalm, David, right at the beginning of this psalm, introduces this guide. In Psalm 23, verse 1, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Well, who's David's guide? Well, it's identified here as the Lord. And if you look at your Bible, or if you look at the screen, you might notice something kind of interesting. That word Lord is, is in all capital letters. You might say, well, what's that all about? 
Well, here's the deal. Uh, the Old Testament part of the Bible was not written in English. It was written in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, this, this word that's, that's in all capital letters, the word Lord, was the personal intimate name by which God's people knew him. And our English translators want us to know that, so they put this word Lord in all capital letters. It was actually the Hebrew name Yahweh. It's kind of interesting because when God revealed himself to his people, uh, he showed up through a guy named Moses. You've heard of Moses? And he, he came to Moses and he said, you tell the people that I am has sent you. And, and God called himself I am. And then he gave the people the name Yahweh, which in Hebrew means he is. So God says to his people, I am, and we as people say to him, Yahweh, he is. I mean, he is the God who cares for his people, who reaches down when they're in difficulties. That's all behind this name. And David is saying, this is the one who's my guide. Now, he uses an image. He uses the image of a shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And to understand this psalm, you have to have this image in mind, but Maybe you have to think about it a little bit differently because for the most part here in Montana, the, uh, the, the sheep herders that I know, really sheep ranchers, they, uh, they do it differently than, than they do in the Middle East. Uh, most uh, sheep herders today uh, run their sheep like cattle. In other words, they, they put them in an enclosure and, and keep them in a fenced area and, and the sheep are there uh, 24-7, and uh, maybe they'll move them like cattle to another pasture or, or another enclosure. But uh, for the most part, the shepherd just goes in a couple times a day to feed them, and if it's lambing season, a little bit more, and, and if they're sheep shearing. But, but otherwise, it's, it's just kind of on an as-needed basis, but not in the Middle East. Uh, shepherds in David's day, and even shepherds today in Israel, are there 24-7 with those sheep. I was in Israel a few years ago, and, and I was driving south of the Dead Sea, and I, and I looked over along the side of the road, and I saw sheep, and, and I saw three shepherds with them. And I thought, wow, I, I never saw that in Montana. Uh, maybe once that I ever see somebody with their sheep. Now, but here were these three guys. Two of them were sitting down on a hillside looking at the sheep, and the third one was standing up, and they're constantly with them. And that's the picture in this psalm. So David is saying, the Lord functions for me and, and for you like a shepherd operates with sheep. And David says, I shall not be in want. I don't need anything. He says in verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And by the way, the, the land of Israel is not just one uh, green pasture. It's a very semi-arid region. Uh, I was uh, fishing out near... Uh, the, the bear trap uh, this week. And I won't get any more specific because John Oakland's here and he's a better fly fisherman than I am. And I don't want him to catch all the fish. But as I was driving out to the bear trap, I thought, this looks a lot like Israel. And, and it's kind of dry, it's kind of barren, it's kind of arid. And that's the way it is in Israel. So you had to have a shepherd who can take you to green pastures and then to make you lie down, you've got to feel secure. And so this is just an image that says that's what God does for us. And then in verse 2 it says, He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And if, if you know anything about sheep, uh, you, you don't take them down to the Gallatin River to drink when 
that the spring runoff is coming through because you're going to see uh, sheep down the river and, and those fly fishermen, well, no, they won't be fishing or in a runoff, but whoever is down the river is going to be surprised to see these sheep. You don't do that. You find a quiet pool, a place where they're going to be safe, a place where they can be uh, restored. And so uh, here's the picture of God restoring us and providing for us and, and protecting us. And then, and then he guides us. In verse 3, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And just as a shepherd guides the sheep, uh, God guides us uh, from one place to another. We're not going to take time this morning to talk about how he does that, but he, he certainly does that through the Bible. Uh, that, that's why we study it. That's why here at Journey, every Sunday, uh, someone uh, stands up here and explains to you uh, that what the Scripture says, because that's God guiding us. And then for those who are followers of Christ, he puts his Holy Spirit in our hearts, and, and so we have guidance in that way as well. But I guess what I love about this psalm, though, is it's very, very realistic. Because as you read those three verses, you say, well, that sounds so great. It kind of sounds like a Thomas Kincaid painting. But my life doesn't work that way. And and David, in verse 4, says, neither does mine. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. One of the challenges for sheep and for shepherds in, in ancient Israel, and even modern Israel, is, is walking through those valleys, uh, literally the valleys of deep darkness, the valleys of the shadow of death. And the problem isn't that there are shadows or that it's sometimes dark. Uh, the problem is that when you get in these valleys, you face a number of dangers. Uh, you face uh, predators. Uh, I was... <laughs> Uh, learned this week that there's been a a mountain lion on the loose in in our area and Chicagoans don't know what to do with mountain lions and uh, some of the the people were on the internet checking and finding out what you do and and one person said well I read that you just stare them down and throw rocks I thought yeah you you try that Uh, well you would face predators as you walk through these deep valleys you could also face falling rock Uh, You would also face the danger of flash flooding. That may have been the greatest danger. And David says, that's what my life is like. And when you stop and think about it, it really was. David faced all kinds of valleys in his life. And as I think about it, it's really the same kind of valleys that you and I face. One kind of valley that David faced was uh, suffering and trials. Just stuff that he got hit with that really wasn't his fault. If you want to read more about David, take your Bible sometime and read in the middle of the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, all the way through 2 Samuel, you can read David's story. And as you read it, you'll find out that early in his life, before he became king, uh, he had been anointed. He had been appointed by uh, a priest in Israel. Uh, God said, I want you to go and anoint David as the next king. David wasn't looking for that. But when David became God's anointed one, it made his life miserable because the reigning king, Saul, wanted to kill him. And for 10 years, David was, David was on the run. He was a fugitive. He was living in a wilderness area. 
And it was a very, very difficult time in his life because Saul was constantly pursuing him. And David had this uh, group of, of renegade guys. Uh, half of them were outlaws. And they, uh, they hung around him and, and they tried to survive. And on one occasion, they came back to the little town where they were staying. And they found out that this little town of Ziklag had been burned. And their wives had been taken. Their children had been taken. And the men were so distraught that they talked about stoning David. In other words, taking literal boulders and, and killing him. They were so upset. And yet in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, the, the text says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. That was one of those valleys that he had to walk through. Unfortunately, David created some of his own valleys. David made some messes in his own life. And of course, the big one was his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. You can read about that in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. And you find out that one day David sees this, this attractive young lady who happens to be married to one of David's generals. And to make a long story short, he, he calls her to the palace, he sleeps with her, finds out later that she's pregnant. And to try to cover it up, David calls her husband Uriah back from the battlefield. And now he's lying by the way, he'll, he'll break every one of the Ten Commandments before he's done with this situation. And he calls him back and, and he says, hey, I just want to get a report from the battle. You know, it's hard to be here when you guys are out fighting, so tell me what's going on. But he wanted Uriah to go sleep with his wife so everybody would think the pregnancy uh, was, uh, was Uriah's and Bathsheba's, but Uriah had too much honor to do that. And so finally, David, the only thing he could do was to murder him. And so he, he writes out orders to put Uriah at the front of the, the battle, at the front lines. And he sends that back with Uriah. And so Uriah carries his own death sentence back to the battle. And as a result of that, David, David made a shipwreck of his life. And yet he can still say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Now, I don't want to give you the impression that, that God just uh, looked the other way and, and David didn't have to deal with the consequences of his sin. In fact, if you want to find out how to work through those valleys in your life that, that you create or that I create because of, of our rebellion... You can go to Psalm 32, Psalm 51, and, and you learn what it's like to work through those. But this morning, I just want you to realize that, that even if you have failed, even if the difficulties that you're facing in your life are your fault, you can still say with David, even though I walk through those deep, dark valleys, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the shepherd's rod was a club that you would use to, to beat away the predators. And then the staff was something that, I mean, you've seen those sticks with the shepherd's crook, and you can use those to pull sheep back from danger. And I think about the times in my life when God has done that, when, when he's pulled me out of situations that, that were dangerous, when, when he's pulled me away from stupid things that I was about to do. Now, God doesn't always do that. Sometimes he lets us create those messes. He gives us that choice. But God is at work in our lives. He's, he's with us. We have his presence. And because we have his presence, we have a God who is, is protecting us from and sometimes just pulling us out of those situations. 
One of my mentors is a man named Haddon Robinson, uh, just a, a great uh, preacher. Uh, Haddon grew up, though, in, in uh, a very, very tough neighborhood in Harlem, in Mousetown. And his mom had died. His dad worked uh, the swing shift. And so uh, he was on his own when he got home from school. And in his teen years, the only way to survive was to join one of the gangs that ran in the neighborhood. One night, Haddon and about 40 guys from his gang were, uh, were getting ready to go avenge the deaths of two members of their gang. Uh, they were going to attack another gang that, that was uh, about 12, 15 blocks away. And so this is before handguns were so uh, readily available. So they grabbed ice picks, they grabbed knives, they took Coke bottles and and broke them off and uh, makes a pretty effective weapon. And, and on their way they went... And about two blocks down this alley, a police officer pulled in, stopped him, and for some reason he singled out Haddon, and he, he, literally, he literally kicked him down, and Haddon sprawling on the, the ground, and his ice pick rolls off to the side, and, and he's getting angry at this point, and the police officer swearing at him, and, and Haddon was so angry that he, uh, that he left and he went home. And the next day he found out that that night there had been a terrible bloodbath, that members of both gangs were killed. And as the years went by, he often reflected on that and said, wow, God, God spared me from that situation. He saved my life. He said the, the foot of that policeman was the hand of God in my life. Well, David would say, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, as David continues in this song, he's, he's coming to that part where the, there's this uh, huge crescendo and, and the drum roll, and, and in verse 5 he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you notice that trouble's still not very far away. But he said, even in the presence of my enemies, you're preparing a banquet table. Now, we're not quite sure if, if David's still using this sheep uh, shepherd imagery, and, and this is a banquet table uh, for sheep. Uh, you know, they've been brought to some new green pasture. Or maybe he is talking about an actual banquet where you come and, and you sit down. Uh, either way, it works. In, in our culture, we don't like to mix metaphors, but in David's day, you could do that. But then he says in verse 5 You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And it's either a picture of, of a shepherd taking, taking that oil, that olive oil, which was kind of the WD-40 of the ancient Near East, and, and rubbing that on the sheep's head as kind of a salve. Or maybe it was the ancient practice that when you went to a banquet, that the host would come around, and as you're sitting around the table, uh, the host would rub some kind of a fragrance on you, uh, you know what, Chanel Number no. 5 or, or Giorgio Armani Aqua de Jo or whatever it is that you prefer, that may be the picture, but whatever the case, it's, it's this time of celebration, even in the middle of difficulty. And then this last verse, verse 6, this is my favorite, the whole psalm. This is the one that I can't get over. It just brings everything together. David says, surely... Goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Now again, you go to a funeral and you hear this psalm and you've probably heard that several times and, and I have to admit for a lot of years that just went right over my head and I really didn't appreciate it. Oh, but that is so powerful. 
Surely, certainly, goodness and, and love, loyal love, will follow me all the days of my life. Now, to help you understand this, I've, I've got to teach you a Hebrew word. Is that okay? Uh, you, you're on your way to learning Hebrew. I've got to teach you a word. Uh, because that word that's translated follow, uh, that's not the best translation. You see, the, the English Bible, first English translations uh, did that. Even back in the 1500s, they were using follow, but today that doesn't work because follow is a tame word, and the Hebrew word here is not a tame word. Uh, the Hebrew word is radoth. By the way, I had it in Hebrew letters, and then when, when we uh, transferred it over to the computers here, there was, a, there was an at sign and an asterisk and an exclamation point. You know, it looked like a swear word when you're reading the paper, and so I thought we, we better remove that. But this is the way it looks in English. Uh, the word is radaf. Can you say that with me? Radaf. All right, you're on your way to knowing Hebrew. But that word means to pursue or to chase in fact, sometimes it's used in the Old Testament. It's translated as persecute when it's used of bad guys because they are chasing, they are pursuing the good guys and they are persecuting them. In fact, it's even used in the Old Testament of hunting elk. Well, not exactly. It's used of hunting partridges. I mean, they're pursuing these partridges. I mean, this is a strong word. It's the word that would have worked a few years ago when I was about eight, nine years old, and we were visiting Yellowstone National Park, and this is in the days when everybody fed the black bears. Some of you remember that, and you saw as many black bears as you would see buffalo, and we were driving through the park, and it was early in June, and there was a black bear off to the side of the road, and so we stopped the car, and my dad got out and snapped a couple of pictures and about the time he got done, now the bear saw him and apparently realized, hey, there's uh, the, the source of my next meal. And so the bear started walking towards my dad, and my dad started walking towards the car. And then the bear started going a little bit faster, and so my dad started going a little bit faster. Well, then the bear started running, and my dad started running, and, and my brothers and I got scared, and so we locked the doors in the car... <laughs> And thankfully, my mom had the presence of mind to unlock his door, and he got in, shut the door, and bam, this bear right up against the window. He just wanted a handout. Well, that's the force behind this word. Now, the good news is it's not a bear that's pursuing you. It's God's goodness and God's love. Isn't that great? I love that picture. Surely, goodness and love hunts me down all the days of my life. That's, that's what the Hebrew says. And as a result of that, David says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's an amazing statement because that captures the storyline of the Bible. Do you ever wonder what this book is all about? How would you describe it in a sentence? Sometimes we'll say, well, this is the story of God uh, saving people. Well, that's right, but saving them from what to what? Or it's the story of God's kingdom. Well, yeah, but what's God's kingdom all about? When you read through the Bible, you realize that the Bible is the story of God giving his people the gift of his presence. And throughout the Bible, God is at work reestablishing his presence with his people 
Because it's when you have God's presence in your life that life is at its very best. And that's when you have a guide that will navigate you through this this Kumba icefall life that we have. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. By the way, that's something that starts right now. You read through the Bible and you find out that God is at work giving his presence to his people. That's why Jesus came. See, when God created the first human beings, they had his presence, but uh, three chapters into the story, uh, they screwed up, they rebelled against God and, and just messed up everything, and yet God didn't give up on people. The day came when God sent his son, Jesus, to this earth. Jesus was fully God, but he became fully human to come to this earth to die for our sins, to be raised to life, so that when we put our faith and trust in him, we can have uh, this relationship with God. We can have his presence in our lives. And that's really the story that that you see unfolding in the Bible. In fact, you get to the very end. One day we will live in the unfiltered presence of God, uh, life in the new heaven and the new earth. It's going to be incredible. So what David is doing in this psalm is he's saying to us, look, God's pursuing presence makes life good, even in the tough stretches. And I need that, and I'm sure you need that as well, because this life is not easy. And the older you get, the more bizarre, painful situations you see and you experience. I would imagine some of you, as you look back over the last five years, say, I never anticipated what the last five years would bring. I I was never prepared for that. And David in this psalm says, look, God's pursuing presence makes life good even in the tough stretches. Now what do we do with that this morning? If that's true, then what do we do with that? How does it change the way that we live this week? Well, let me suggest a couple of things. First of all, uh, let me ask you, do you have that personal connection with God? Can you say with David, the Lord is my shepherd? I mean, that's very personal, isn't it? David says, God is my guide for life. And I'm wondering this morning, can you say that? And if you're not sure about that, then, then let me explain to you how you can leave here this morning knowing that the Lord is your shepherd. Again, it has to do with Jesus. You see, God sent his son Jesus, and one of the things that Jesus said, uh, it's recorded in uh, the New Testament, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10, and you see it on the screen right in front of you. Uh, Jesus is, is talking here about sheep and shepherds. In fact, he goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But right before that, in verse 10, he's He's using this picture of shepherd and sheep, and he's actually talking about the religious leaders of the day, and he calls them thieves. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I, the good shepherd, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I think one of the biggest misconceptions about following Jesus is that when you give your life to him, that that your life is going to go down the tubes and, and, and the fun meter is, is just going to flop over to, to no fun at all. That's not the case. 
Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Bible teaches us that we don't really experience real life until we are connected to God through Jesus Christ. By the way, earlier in, in John's Gospel, John chapter 3, verse 16, I saw somebody wearing a 316 uh, t-shirt this morning. Uh, that, that's the reference, that's the kind of the zip code or the address for the most famous statement in the Bible. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I want you to understand that that eternal life, as Jesus defined it, is a relationship with God. And that starts right now, right here. And it continues throughout eternity. It continues after you die, if you're a follower of Christ. And you move into that life after death phase. And you're waiting for Jesus to return and for the resurrection, uh, for uh, your body to be reunited with your spirit. And then you have life after life after death. And and you live in the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, That's all possible when uh, you put your faith and your trust in Jesus. And so this morning, if that's something that that you've never done, uh, please understand that becoming a follower of Jesus, that becoming connected to God so that you can say, He is my shepherd, that it's not a matter of being more religious or jumping through more hoops. You know, that's one of the things I've noticed since moving to the Chicago area is is people are are a lot more religious there. and, And sometimes, I know this sounds weird, but that's kind of annoying Everybody I meet is is so religious. But the problem is, a lot of them are involved in in religions, even in world religions, that that are so tied into working and earning uh, and connecting to God by earning his favor. The Bible says it doesn't work. And you don't have to do that. Because Jesus Christ gave his life for you and for me. He's the good shepherd. He laid down his life. So that when we depend on him, when we receive him as God's answer to our deepest problems, that he connects us to God and we begin that relationship. So that's the starting place. And if you've never done that this morning, when I pray in just a couple of minutes, you'll have the opportunity to do that. For those of of you, though, who have taken that step already, and, and I know that many of you have, what this psalm challenges us to do, I believe, is to to be more aware of of God's presence and also to be assured of his God's presence when it just doesn't look like God is showing up. There's kind of two sides to that. Uh, One side, though, is is to be more aware, more in tune of of those moments when God is present in our lives. I had a friend recently who said, hey, let's let's do something for the next month. Uh, Every day, let's write down the, the ways in our lives that God shows up the way that we experience his presence. And so I I did that, and wow, it really opened up my eyes to all the little things that I was missing. In fact, let me just read kind of a a weak sample of of where I saw God's presence in my life. This is from a couple of weeks ago. One day it was the joy I shared when I took my daughter Erin to lunch for her 23rd birthday. And I, I just sensed God's presence there. The next day, it was a word of encouragement from a guy in my small group on a very, very frustrating day for me. The next day, it was the opportunity to reach out to a man in our town who was displaced by Hurricane Katrina. 
And, and even in that interaction, I just sense God's presence. Then the next day, it was in my reading of Romans 12.1, right here in the Bible, and it was just a challenge to keep uh, that, that fire uh, hot, that fire, that passion for the Lord. And then the next day, it was in a hard conversation I had to have with a staff member in our church, and I think what struck me, this person's response is I thought, man, I don't think I would have responded that well. Uh, this is really the, the presence of God. And yet there are other times, and by the way, I'd encourage you to do that. To do that exercise for a week or for a month, and, and you will be more in tune to God's presence. But I also have to tell you, there are some times when you are not going to see visible, tangible signs of God's presence, and you're going to wonder, does God really care? Is God really here? And it's in those times when we've got to come back to this psalm. We've got to say, yeah, the Lord's my shepherd. Even though I walk through that valley of the shadow of death, that deep, dark valley, I don't have to fear evil because you are with me. I read a wonderful story a few years ago. I was in a, in a dentist office and uh, picked up a copy of Sports Afield, and there was a story. One of those back page columnists, a guy by the name of Stephen Osterhout, and he wrote about a time in 1976 when he was nine years old, and he got to go to his grandfather's cabin for two weeks. His grandfather had a cabin in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And uh, just an incredibly beautiful place. Doesn't have mountains like we do here, but beautiful place. And Stephen Osterhout goes there to spend two weeks with his grandfather. And the first five days, they just had a great time together. But his grandfather is 70. And after five days with the nine-year-old kid, he said, I got to rest. And he said, you go out and play. You go out and explore. He says, but don't wander away and get lost. It's easy to get lost in this property. Well, Stephen Osterhout went out, and yeah, 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 I'll, I'll be careful not to get lost. And, you know, he's, he's following, you know, this bird, and he's, you know, following a deer and wandering all around. And uh, late in the afternoon, it hit him that he had no idea where he was, that he was lost. 480 acres, and it's, it's timber, and, and he looked around, couldn't find any landmarks, and he started to panic, and he started to cry, and he started screaming, and he started running, and he tripped over deadfall, and he, his hat fell off, and, and finally he ended up under this tree sobbing, and he went to sleep, and he woke up, and, and, and it was dark, and, and then he saw what he thought was this 50-foot bear coming at him, but he realized it was his grandfather's bloodhound, Jack, and, and so he... He got Jack up next to him and hugged him and cried and, and fell asleep. And uh, the next morning he woke up. And, and here there was, uh, uh, there was something tied to, to Jack's collar. And he pulled it off. And it was a note from his grandfather saying, you're going to be fine out here. I'm, I'm tired. Uh, Jack will take care of you. Read these instructions. Here's how you can start a fire. I know you've got your BB gun. You can shoot a chipmunk or something. And... And Stephen said, about this time, he says, I started to get angry thinking, you know, my grandfather could have strapped some food on this dog. <laughs> you know, he could have carried a small roast under his neck. But he, he took the challenge. He got a fire started. Eventually, he shot a chipmunk, burned it to a crisp, but he had a little meal, uh, wandered around, still was lost, had no idea where he was. Finally stumbled across a, a, a river that 
he knew, he had been there with his grandfather, they had gone fishing, and as he's exploring, he said, oh, we fished this hole, and he remembered that he lost his lure at, at this hole, and so he, he found, he was too angry to get it at the time, so he found this lure, and, and there was a, enough line that he, he tied it to a stick, and he caught about four brook trout and, and cooked them, and by this time it was getting dark again, so he slept. Uh, the next morning he started wandering, going back and forth, and he came across the trail, and he's heading back to his grandfather's home, and he's so excited because he recognizes landmarks. And finally he sees the cabin, and he gets there, and he runs up to the door, and he says to his grandfather, I'm home, I'm home. And he knocks on the door, and, and there's no answer. And he thought, that's really odd. And, and he opens the door and said, Grandfather, I'm, I'm home. Uh, no grandfather. Uh, puzzled, he goes back out on the porch. And he looks down the trail where he had just come, and... Who does he see? His grandfather following him, uh, carrying a backpack, carrying camping equipment, carrying his hat, and he realized at that moment that his grandfather had been with him the whole time. That's how it works, doesn't it? You and I face some dark valleys in our lives, and there are days when we wonder, God, where are you? Boy, in those moments, we need this song, don't we? We need this psalm reminding us that God's pursuing presence makes life good, even in the tough stretches, and he is always with us. When you can say with David, the Lord is my shepherd, then you can say with him, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And there is no better place to be than in the presence of God. There is no better place to be. Let's pray. I'd like you to, just to close your eyes and bow your heads, not because that's any more spiritual, but I just want you to create some space so that you can, you can just think in your own heart and just think about what we've learned this morning from, from Scripture. And I want you to think about God's presence in your own life. First of all, if, if you're here this morning and as you've been listening, you said, you know, it's, it's time for me to take that step and to put my faith in Christ. It's time for me to trust him and to be part of God's family. Then right where you're sitting this morning, you can do that in your own heart. You can, you can talk to God. You can tell him. You can say, God, I want you to be my shepherd. God, I realize that, that because of sin, I, I'm not connected to you. But Lord, I realize that you sent Jesus, your son, the good shepherd, to die for my sins. And by the way, you don't have to say that word for word. You just communicate that in your own words. You can say, I want Jesus to be my savior. From this moment on, I am putting my faith and my trust in him. I'm depending upon him because I want you to be my good shepherd. And if you do that this morning, right where you're sitting, if you call out to God in your heart, the Bible says that you've passed from life to death. Now, if you've done that this morning, I'd, I'd love to pray for you. And just a, as a way of, of you signifying that you've taken that step, would you just raise your hand? Uh, nobody else is going to see you, just uh, me. Just keep that hand up until uh, I, I can see that, if you've taken that step this morning. Uh, most important decision you can make. That's great. Way to go. 
most important decision you can make in your life. That's great. For those of you who have taken that step already, I would just encourage you as you, as you, as you think in your own heart about what's going on in your life, just, just ask God again to, to help you be aware of his presence. Maybe you want to say to God that in the next week or so, you're just going to take a, Five minutes every day to reflect on how God has showed up in your life. Or maybe you need to say, God, well, I'm facing this devastating situation. doesn't seem like you're there, but I'm going to hang on to that truth that you're present in my life. Let me pray for all of you. Father, I thank you that you're our shepherd. I thank you that you are good. Father, I pray that you will help us to be aware of your presence. And Lord, even in those moments when it just doesn't seem like you're there, help us. Help us to remember that what's true. And what's true is you are, you're pursuing us. Your goodness and your love is pursuing us every day of our lives. Lord, you're such an awesome God, and we thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're our shepherd, that you are our guide. In the name of our good shepherd, Jesus, we pray. Amen.